Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, all right, welcome, and thank you for joining me again for what I think is a really, is a pretty big day for us. You see, there is nothing more important for us as followers of Jesus than to live like he lived, to think like he thought, and to do what he taught. The ultimate goal of a life following Jesus is to be a person that is transformed into his image. So at Compass, we have decided that this year, our goal, our big target, our main strategy is to focus completely on him, just Jesus to learn to be like him, to see the world the way he saw it, and to do the things that he did. Now, to do that, we're gonna take a deep dive into his life and into his ministry. And today is a big day because we're starting off our verse-by-verse journey into the Gospel of Matthew, which is essentially a biography of Jesus's life. Now, this is important because if you look at history, throughout history, there are a lot of people who have big reputations who we think that we know all about. We know everything about them. They're people whose names are familiar to almost everyone. But when it comes down to it, we are way off base on what we think is true about them. For example, St. Patrick was a well-known missionary who brought Christianity to Ireland. He's a literal saint. We have a holiday about him. And what color do we wear on the day that we celebrate him? Green, right? But St. Patrick's official color is actually blue. In fact, it's it's a color of sky blue that is literally called St. Patrick's blue. Somewhere along the line, we got it wrong. We mixed up who he was and his reputation. Another person with a big reputation, but we get him wrong, is Sir Isaac Newton. We know him as the man who discovered gravity when, while he was sitting under an apple tree reading, an apple fell on his head. The problem is that never happened. In fact, Isaac Newton never mentioned anything about an apple. The story popped up 60 years later when another guy told this story about Isaac Newton to illustrate gravity and how it worked. Isaac Newton also died from eating mercury, but that's another story. And then finally, George Washington, the man who as a boy chopped down his father's prized cherry tree. And when he was confronted about it, he famously said, I cannot tell a lie. And then he confessed to it, right? Powerful story and totally untrue. Uh, One of Washington's first biographers, Mason Locke Weems, he figured that in order to sell his book and to sell his, his stories, that he needed to make up some stories about Washington to make him look virtuous. And people bought it. In fact, that story, it was taught as fact in American history books for over a century totally untrue. Jesus had a big reputation right from the beginning of his ministry. And over the next several weeks, we are going to take a look at who Jesus had a big reputation with and how that affected his habits and his ways of thinking. And the first person who spoke to Jesus's reputation was a man who you may be familiar with. He's a man called John the Baptist. So for background, Jesus and John's mothers, Jesus's mother Mary and John's mother Elizabeth, they were related. Uh, We don't know exactly how, but they were probably cousins, maybe distant cousins of some kind. But we knew they knew each other. 
But apart from John and Jesus being distantly related, we really don't know a lot about John until he pops on the scene in Matthew chapter 3. And in verse 1, it says this. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness, and he began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John's whole deal was this announcement that God is getting ready to do something new. And you need to repent of your sins and turn to him so that you can be ready for it. But John did something that was very different, something really that nobody was doing. He baptized people. Now we're super familiar with baptism, right? It's been in you know church forever. But the Jewish people that he was talking to, um, they saw it as very different. Now they would have been familiar with the idea of baptism, except to them it would have related or looked more like ceremonial washing. Okay, now there were multiple reasons that a religious Jew would have engaged in this ritual cleansing or ritual washing. Uh, they would have done it before they ate. They would have done it after they touched something dead or a dead body. Uh, they would have engaged in ceremonial washing after certain bodily functions. It was for everyday things that made people religiously or ceremonially unclean. It wasn't tied to sin as much as it was just tied to the activities of life. Sometimes it just required the ceremonial washing of your hands, sometimes immersion of the whole body. But the idea behind it was always the same. You are ceremonially unclean, and this washing makes you clean. The cleansing itself is what facilitated a state of change. But John's baptism was something new and different that people hadn't seen before. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. While ceremonial cleansing was the act that made something unclean clean again, John's baptism was totally different. It didn't facilitate a state of change the way ceremonial cleansing did. It represented a state of change. See, John's baptism was always paired with and always followed repentance of sin. John proclaimed that sin was the problem people needed to be cleansed of, not what you ate, what you touched, and that sin can't be washed away with water. It requires repentance first. Now, this would have been a kind of big deal to the Jewish people who believed that they were God's chosen ones. You see, they thought they were going to be saved by God because of who they were, not because of what they did. But then John comes along and he says, nope. Look what he says in verse 8. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. We're safe because we're Jews or we're Jewish or the nation of Israel. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Just because you are from the nation of Israel does not mean that you are safe from God's judgment. It doesn't mean that you are chosen. Now, this is important. John's baptism was for, was for Jewish people who acknowledged their sin and turned from it. It was an outward public symbol of that repentance. It was outside of what the Jewish law required of the religious Jews of the day. It was about sin. And and, and in it, John was doing this preparation for this new thing that God was doing. Look what he says in verse 11. 
I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. He continues, but someone is coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John was famous. I mean, he was so famous that he had a nickname, like Beyonce, right? He was so famous that decades later in Acts 19, long after Jesus had died, we see people in Ephesus, a city 600 miles away, still receiving John's baptism. But John knew that as big as his reputation was, there was someone coming to do something even bigger, this new thing that God was doing. And our story continues in verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. So Jesus steps into our story and shows up. He has made the journey, the long journey, from Galilee to the Jordan River, not just a little hike. It's a journey of days. And he made this journey for a specific reason, so that he could be baptized by John. Remember that. Story continues. Uh, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? See, Jesus shows up. And, and whether it had been revealed to John before who Jesus was, or if he just realized it in that moment, John reacted to what he knew to be true. That this new thing that God was doing was gonna happen through Jesus. And John says, he's like, Jesus, whoa, 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 hold on. He's like, my baptism is for people who need to repent of their sins. It's for people who have done wrong and they need to be made clean by acknowledging that and turning from their sin. He's like, Jesus, that's not you. I mean, it's more me than you. You should be baptizing me. John knew what many more people were eventually going to realize that Jesus is the one God is sending to set us free, to set the world that has been broken and damaged by sin, to set it right, to bring justice and peace to all mankind, and to install a new kingdom for his followers. That's what John knew. And, and I think if you and I, if we were Jesus when John said all of that, I mean, I think we would be like, yeah, you know what, John, you're right. I probably don't need to be baptized. I mean, I have nothing to repent of. There's nothing for me to turn away from. I'm, I'm already there. But take a look at what Jesus says in response to John. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. This is an interesting statement. Because, again, according to Jewish scriptures, this wasn't required. It's not even in the Old Testament. It's, it wasn't even a, a rabbinical Jewish tradition that had been added to the Jewish scriptures. It was just this kind of new thing that John the Baptist had started for people who needed to repent of their sins. And Jesus, according to the New Testament and according to John's own testimony, didn't have any sin. If anyone could say, this isn't required of me, I don't have to do this. I have a right not to do this. It was Jesus, but he didn't. And he didn't because sometimes what's right goes beyond what's required. See, sometimes if we're going to be like Jesus, like Jesus, God will ask more of us than we, than we require of ourselves. 
costs more of us than what others require of us, or what religion requires of us, or what the rules require of us, or what the law requires of us. I mean, this is one of my favorite verses. We share it all the time. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. I know that we share that verse all the time, but it's at the heart of living and thinking like Jesus. Not only that, it's, it's the heart of Jesus's very first act in ministry. The first thing he ever did at the inauguration of what he was going to do in the world. The first thing Jesus did was something that Jesus didn't have to do. And in it, we see how Jesus responded to this reputation that he had with John. But we also get to see what someone else thought of Jesus. Because in verse 15, it says that John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water and the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Isn't it interesting that only after an act that wasn't required of him in Jewish scripture, that was really fairly new historically, that, and that didn't even apply to him because it was for people who needed to repent of their sin. Isn't it interesting that it was after the act of being baptized that God the Father announced his new kingdom that would come through Jesus and announced his approval of Jesus and announced who Jesus was as his son? Did Jesus get baptized as a model for us to show us what we need to do? Uh, or did he do it to promote the message that John had been preaching, that people need to repent for the kingdom of God is near? Maybe, probably both. I mean, we don't know for sure because it isn't clearly laid out in the gospels. But what we do know is this, that when Jesus was baptized, something that required him to humble himself, to lay down his rights and privileges, to put himself below John who baptized him, when Jesus was baptized, he announced what this new kingdom of God was going to be based on. And it's this, that God's kingdom is not one of power that is taken by strength or accrued through political channels. God's kingdom is one of humbling ourselves to do what's right, even if it's not required. Putting others first, putting our needs and desires second. In being baptized, Jesus showed us a new way of thinking about his kingdom and how it interacts with our world. And in doing so, he got God the Father's endorsement. Would your life get the same endorsement from God? Are there areas in your life where you have clung to your rights by only giving what's required of you when God might be asking you for more? Are you, like Jesus, willing to do things that are humbling and at a minimum not required for the good of others in obedience to God? Or have you been pursuing a kingdom of power rather than a kingdom of humility and submission? Today, as we 
look at this passage to understand how Jesus thought and lived, I would invite you to think differently about your world, about your actions, about your rights, to begin to see them the way that Jesus did, and in doing so, to live like he lived, to see and follow Jesus as he really is based on how he really thought and what he really did. Jesus had a good reputation with God the Father, and that's what I want. It's what I want for my kids, and it's what I want for you. I want God to say, that's Chris. He's my son, and I'm really pleased with him. And I want him to say that about you too. So let's allow Jesus' reputation with both John and God the Father to show us how to have that same reputation in our world. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.